standing up in McKinney. This is According to Callus. This is episode 345, and today we're going to talk about schools. It is Wednesday, February the 1st, the day after the ice shutdown of North Dallas. Oh, and if you think that the this is entertaining, educational, informative, or otherwise just plain fun, do me a favor, take a pause, go like, share, subscribe, comment, follow, all that good stuff. Help me out, grow the show. We are making a difference. And after the end of this episode, you may or may not regret that decision. <laughs> just kidding. All right, schools. Here we go. We're going to talk about the purpose, the results, options, and I'm going to throw in a little Doug Wilson for fun and good measure at the end. So on with the show. Okay, so ostensibly the purpose of government, aka public schools, was to ensure that we had a well-educated populace that could be good citizens. That was what the sales pitch was. That is what they told the general public. If you go all the way back to the 1890s, there was a guy by the name of Horace Mann that was running around extolling the virtues of this. Now, keep in mind, the idea of government schools or public schools has been tried before. Um, compulsory schools was an outgrowth of this, but it's based on the Prussian system. Oh, and if you're not aware what the Prussian system is, you need to go ahead and pause me and go look it up. Spend five minutes, just read the basics of it, and then you have a better understanding. Now, when it was brought to fruition in the 1920s, um, which was, again, an outgrowth of the work of Horace Mann and John Dewey, uh, and just before I go any further, it is no coincidence that in my hometown of West Alice, Wisconsin, Alice, like as in Alice Chalmers, which used to be a factory that made tractors, uh, and the majority of the city was actually west of that factory, uh, we had a middle school named after John Dewey and one named after Horace Mann. Uh, I'm sure that's no coincidence. Uh, and to be honest with you, I think we got mostly the outcome that they had desired, both of them. And that should be where it ends, but it won't. So let me uh, let me take a moment now and touch base with you on this. Here we gotta we gotta go back to the idea of what they tell you they're doing and what they're actually doing are not always the same thing. Now I suspect that most people have already figured this out, but back in the 1890s when this was getting started, there was still, for lack of a better term, a strong independent streak and a strong Christian influence. And, I, and I'll put the quotes up for the Christian only from the standpoint that each state or former colony or geographic location had their own bent on what they define Christianity as, uh, for better or for worse. Um, clearly in places like Maryland, it was, or even parts of Virginia or Delaware, it was more of a Catholic origin and 
down further south, it was more Anglican, and in the north, the more Puritan, right, Universalist at this point, and um, and then of course Pennsylvania had a lot of Quaker influence. So, and of course these are gross generalizations. I'm not looking to go on anybody's cow here. It's just this is a gross generalization of what's going on. And of course there's Presbyterians and Baptists sprinkled all over the place. So as we look at this, the reformers wanted to nationalize the country. They wanted to unify the country. They thought that the best way of accomplishing this was through a school system. And they thought that if they could basically catechize the American public into a generalized system of, mm, I don't want to say the word worship, but a reverence for our country, for our founding fathers, for the Constitution, for the basic precepts of what it was to be, quote unquote, an American, that they would create better citizens, that they would get the outcome they were looking for. That also was part of the sales pitch, right? There were a whole lot of, you know, Catholics that were in the Northeast that the Protestants were not in enthusiastic about it. They were relatively new arrivals and they weren't being assimilated in a way that they wanted. So what better way than to form compulsory government public schools, right? So this is the sales pitch. The reality is that our leaders, our movers and shakers, they wanted factory workers. They wanted good little minions. Oh, and by the way, they wanted good soldiers, so the reason why the Prussian system was utilized is uh, the Prussians, which for those of you that don't know, this was a dominant group within what later became Germany, right? And they were utilized both in the Revolutionary War, for those of you that remember, they were Hessians, uh, the German soldiers, if you will, but they also were used by Napoleon and they were quite effective because they had changed after they had had some disastrous defeats at the hands of Napoleon. They had changed their system. They've improved it. And while well, they made a lot of good little soldiers. Now, soldiers are there to follow orders. Soldiers are there to do their work. That is the same thing that a factory worker does, right? That was the goal. That was that was what they were really after, but that's not how they sold it. Now, if you don't believe me, and let me let me pause to reassert what I often say, you should never believe anything anybody tells you, much less myself, without first going and double checking their sources or their point of view or what they're telling you. Um, there are any number of books on this subject. There are any uh, different, or I should say, there is almost an innumerable amount of different uh, studies or articles on this subject and what's going being laid out here. I am giving you the simplistic, basic interpretation that I can quickly get out in 10 to 15 minutes of this podcast. There's more to it. There's a lot more involved with this. So I just, I want to lay the basic groundwork. So that is the purpose. 
There's what they told you the purpose was, and then there's what the actual goals were in the background. Now, the results. We've had this system essentially in place for 130 years. So the basic, simplest question I can ask is, do you think that young children graduating from eighth grade are better informed, more well-adjusted and educated than they were back in 1890 versus 1990, or if you prefer, 2020? And if so, why? Or if you accept the notion that I'm putting out that they're not, then you have to consider, well, what was the ultimate goal? Did they really achieve what they were looking at? You know, I I was, you know, a child in the 80s. And, you know, one of the things was why Johnny can't read. We spent a lot of time dealing with issues that were not necessarily related to education as we might describe it. That's not really changed at all. In fact, if you pay attention to what goes on in these government schools, they focus on STEM, but then they focus on all this crazy stuff that has different ideas that would actually contradict the hard sciences that they're supposed to be learning and incorporating from their STEM studies. And it's really hard to believe that there's anything that's true when you can't define what a woman is, right? I mean, this is the outgrowth of our educational system that I'm going to put to you as largely by design and the results speak for themselves. You can't look at the outcome And be surprised once you understand what was the underlying goals of those that put this in place. To say nothing of the fact that we spend more per pupil than anywhere else. And they tell us that if you just spend more money, you'll get better results. But how's that been working for us? I mean, I heard this mantra when I was in school back in the 80s. It's 40 years later. I don't think we're getting better results even though we have more money. Now, there are some segments of our society that would want to blame this on um, lower achieving people being in the schools. They would want to blame it on people that don't look like them or don't sound like them. While that may be a facet of the problem, while that may be a segment that needs to be addressed separately, I think it's fair to say when you're getting the top percentage from Asia showing up in the United States and they're performing at or above whatever the standard is, that can mean any number of things. One, we've lowered the standard so much that, you know, there should be no excuse why everybody isn't excelling. I mean, a lot of these people that are coming here, English may be a language that they learned at an early age, but it's not spoken the same way that we speak it in the States, yet they do quite well. And yes, in case you're wondering, I'm speaking to those that are coming over from China and South South Asia, aka India. They come here, they do quite well at the academics. Could it be that the academics are that dumbed down that they just crushing it because they're that much smarter? Could it be that there's a certain, because of the higher percentage of, you know, 
societal achievement over there comes and translates here and they're just that much better than average could it be that uh our people just don't care anymore i don't know i'm not suggesting that any or all is at fault i'm just wanting to give you an understanding of don't blame somebody else or some other group for our own failures our own decisions we chose to spend a lot of money on a government school system and we're not really getting what we pay for. In fact, I would suggest to you that if we were to cut the funding and streamline the operation, we might in fact get little Johnnies and little Marys that can read, write, and do arithmetic. Now, yes, uh, if you force every child that is in high school to go to calculus, you're going to have some that burn out because quite frankly, 70% of the people that go through a school system have no desire or need to learn calculus. Likewise, um, there are plenty of other subjects that are not necessary for you to function as an adult. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't offer it. It shouldn't be available. It's just you don't try and put a square peg into the round hole, right? <laughs> to borrow the old 80s uh, thing there. So what are your options? What could you do? What should you do? Well, here gets the nebulous answer, right? Now, there are plenty of religious folks out there that uh, I would consider myself one of them, right? We're, we're Christians and we have a worldview and we would like to reinforce our worldview. But we also want our children, as they become young adults, to be well-educated, well-rounded, and highly functional in the society as it exists today. I would suggest to you that can be done and it should be done with either a small private school, a medium-sized private school, some kind of homeschool, some kind of co-op. There are so many options that are available to take you out of that sphere of government schools. But herein lies the problem. The people that do that rightfully acknowledge that they are being taxed at an extraordinary rate for government schools that they're not even taking advantage of. Now, and the government schools are well aware of this because they want to prevent you as a private school parent or a homeschool parent from your children being able to take advantage of some of the extracurricular activities that these same said government schools provide. They have gone so far as to prevent that every uh, way they can. Now, fortunately, some of the local uh, courts have said, well, actually, you can't do that. If a student of age lives in the area, just because they're not going to your school doesn't mean they can't be uh, allowed to take advantage of these things that you're offering. So while that's all well and good, why is it that most parents are so adamant about their children playing in sports? or succeeding in these kinds of things. I would submit to you it's because they think they're going to save money by when their kid goes to college by the scholarships. And that may be true, but the trade-off is all that time and money that you invest when they're younger that you could otherwise invest. The outcome being, of course, that you spent 12 years ensuring that little Johnny or little Mary gets a good Christian worldview education, and then you set them off to Sodom and Gomorrah to go to college, 
wholly unprepared for what they're going to face and the challenges that are going to be put before them. And then we wonder how we get the outcome that we get. Hey, but don't worry because they got to go for cheaper because of that scholarship that they earned by all the time money that I sacrificed when they were younger. Now, that's not to say that I would poo-poo that. That's not to say that if your student or your young uh, child is extraordinarily gifted in whatever sport or activity that they shouldn't be allowed and encouraged to take part in those things. Just saying, perhaps some of this comes down to the parent living vicariously through their their student, their child. And is that really what's best for them? Is that honoring to God? Is that honoring to their soon-to-be-established adulthood? I've known several students that by the time they get old enough to make their own decision, they are so tired of whatever it was that they were doing that they quit. They don't want to participate. They, they've lost interest. They've, they've lost the drive. They, they reject it. In fact, I've also seen that of people that are raised in the Christian faith, right? There, there are some organizations or sects that shove that down their throat. They're not allowed to question anything. You just go along and recite these things and everything's going to be okay. You're not allowed to have independent thoughts. So when they're sent off to Sodom and Gomorrah to get their college education, well, <laughs> they reject all of that because they know better now. And even if you think you're sending them to that nice Christian college, um, I would suggest to you there's probably only half a dozen of those left that actually practice what they say. Now, let's talk about how did that happen, right? So we had these private schools that were established and um, the parents got tired of paying twice or three times the amount to educate their children, even if they were getting a better education, they got exhausted. I'm paying, you know, whatever the amount of money is, let's just say it's $10,000 every year for a government school that I'm not taking advantage of. And then on top of that, I'm paying another six or $8,000 to send my school or send my child to a parochial school or a private Christian school. Or even if it's not a Christian school, it's just any school that is private. So I'm paying this enormous amount of money, not once, but twice to have my child educated. So the temptation is, well, you know, it's just not worth it. You're not, you're not getting the, you're not getting the return. Okay. I I mean, I admit I kind of ran into the same issue myself. The other side of that uh, is, is, well, if, if, if the government will just give me some of my money back. If they'll just refund me because I'm not taking advantage of these things, certainly they could give me some of that money back through a voucher or through a credit or something. Yeah, that sounds great. And they make all these promises on how there'll be no strings attached, but government doesn't ever let you keep anything of your own unless there's a string attached. And it may start out now, there's no consequence. It may start out now that they really actually truly do deliver that in three or five years from now, they change that. And it may be your first child or your oldest child will escape the consequences of that. But it's only a matter of time before they ratchet up the requirements. They ratchet up the um, things that you have to do in order to stay accredited, that you have to stay in their good graces, that you, that you remain eligible for those vouchers. 
Do you think they may dictate the terms of what and how you can teach those children? Hmm? Do you think they might choose to dictate what the requirements are to teach? Do you think they might force other things upon that school? But now you're taking their money, right? So you can't say no. You can't function without this money. Hmm? It's no coincidence that every time a private entity allows for government money to come in, it's only a matter of time before that government entity completely subverts the private organization because money talks and people are afraid. They don't believe that it'll do it now. And I'm going to pause here for just a second and inject this. Look, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't even have to be a Catholic or a Protestant or whatever and invest the time and money in parochial schools. You just have to reject the idea that government schools are the best to be on the same page here. But if you're a Christian, right, and you want to imbue that worldview into the education of your children, are you going to really be able to do that if you're taking government money? You can't serve God and government, right? There, there's only one king. You have to decide. And it's expensive. I know. There's consequences. Every child's different. Every, every outcome is different. I can't say what's best for you and your family. I, I wouldn't be foolish enough or have enough hubris to make that claim that I know that. What I'm suggesting to you is, once you understand what the purposes were in establishing a government school system, once you observe and recognize what the results were of that government school system, that should be enough to lead you to the idea that ah, maybe there should be some options. Maybe, maybe there's something else we could do here. Now, I, I threw in... Uh, a couple of quotes from Mr. Doug Wilson, or I should say Pastor Doug Wilson, in yesterday's episode, I believe. Um, I, I'm reading through the case for the classical Christian education, and one of the things that struck me is, one, uh, and to be completely uh, transparent here, I've never been a fan of government education. I, I went through my entire life and I don't fault my parents for that. I don't, you know, I, I don't hold that over their head. Um, I tried to do better for my children. I, I tried to give them options, if you will. And I, I feel confident that I did. But even then, I, you know, you have to compromise at some point. You can only do so much. You, you can't um, do everything that you want to do. It's just, it's not feasible. That being the case, you, you look at what are the consequences of not investing? What are, the, what are the costs involved if you continue to ignore what is should be obvious, especially now that I've kind of spelled out what the underlying issues are here. So let me just pause for a second while I pull this up. Okay, so it makes a difference which Kindle I open up apparently. Here we go. <laughs> Um, so in the book on page 12, one of the highlighted sections, if you will, our civil disintegration in the schools is the clear result of two principal factors. 
Our children are under-disciplined and over-medicated. Now, when I first thought about that, um, I don't recall that being the case when I was a student, when I was a child. But then upon further reflection, yeah, yeah, it did start there. It was going on. I'm a child of the late 70s, early 80s, and actually I graduated back in uh, before the 90s came in. And the idea was, is that if you had a young man or a young boy that couldn't sit still, well, you would just give him a pill. It'd be all right. And as far as discipline goes, yeah, they still had discipline, but I think that's, uh, I think that's gone away. All right. Uh, let's see here. Then Doug, uh, also, uh, has the quote here, uh, under our current circumstances, the first action to take, if it applies is for parents to pull their own children out of the government school system and never think about putting them back in. The first motive for doing this is the protection of the children. And he's got in brackets, spiritual, covenantal, and academic. The second motive is the protection of the children who remain behind. The sooner the government, the current government school system collapses, the better it will be for everyone, including all those that were enrolled at the time the schools fell apart. Now, I just want you to think about that for a second. They always talk about the apocalyptic results of people pulling their children out of schools, but the fact of the matter is those schools still get that money. So I want to surmise that the real fear is that they lose their monopoly status, that they lose their controlling organizational feature that almost all the children are going to these government schools, that they have to actually face competition, that they have to face the fact that the other students are performing better. Now, Doug and um, Paige, and again, this is Pastor Doug Wilson. I'm just using shorthand here. Education is fundamentally religious. Consequently, there is no question about whether morality will be posed in that education, but whether or not, or but rather, which morality will be imposed. Again, another fair statement. And this is buttressing something that I've always thought, right? The idea that schools are neutral or that they can be neutral. I want to believe that. I've pushed for that. I, I support that notion that it should be the goal. But the reality is it never is. Whoever runs that school is what dictates what happens there. And I got to tell you, most of the time in today's day and age, it's pagans. So we should expect pagans to behave like pagans. All right. Now, we're going we're gonna to jump forward here to, I guess this is on page 41. And this is exactly where I was going with the voucher, right? Economically speaking, all voucher proposals are the first step in instituting economic fascism in education. Private ownership, but public control. He then says, I wrote in the Padilla of God, vouchers will simply change the nature of our educational slavery. They will not usher in educational liberty. Instead of educational socialism as we have now, we will have an educational fascism. Now think about that for a second. That's what I just said. Now, I, I thought that before I read this in the book, but when you seed control of how you're educating your children, you're seeding your family, your, particularly your greatest asset, your longest lasting 
impact on the world, your posterity. Do you really want to trust that to a government that has shown you that they have zero concern for you and your family? Do you really want to trust it for people that have goals that are directly opposed to that which you stand for? I'm going to ask you to reconsider that. So in closing, let me just finish by saying, while I respect and admire my friends and my acquaintances that both serve on school boards and want to run to serve on a school board, I can't help but think that they're trying to salvage that which is largely unsalvageable. I can't help but be cautious that they're going to be successful enough that they'll slow the inevitable collapse. And I don't know that long-term they're doing anybody any favors. And, I, and I'm very familiar, and again, I'm respectful of this argument, that we can protect our own children, but the best way we can protect our own children is to ensure those that are not under our guidance, that are not under our care, are getting the best outcome they can within the government schools. Now, uh, Pastor Doug Wilson thinks the exact opposite, right? He thinks that the best outcome is the school districts or the school system collapses under its own weight and that the quicker we vacate and the more clean and clear our separation is, the better and quicker that's going to happen. And while I agree on some sense the dislocation and the damage that's going to happen to those families that have no other choice, those families that are trapped in a system that quite frankly doesn't have their best interests in mind, they're not going to see it that way. In fact, they're going to be quite upset with those people that have retreated and fled the system. And and by retreat, I should say, I mean that as in fortify and go back to a defensible position, not as in fleeing and hiding, right? So let me be clear. I'm stuck in the middle here. (laughs) I completely understand why you would want to take advantage of a government school system. I completely understand why there's a large segment of our society that feels like they have no other choice. And that is what's the best option for their family at this time. But on the flip side of that, if you subscribe to Christianity, if you believe in the creator God, right? the triune creator God, if you need that specification. We're taught that a sparrow can't even fall to the ground without him knowing about it. So likewise, how much more precious or how much more concerned might he be for us, his greatest creation? Made in the image of God. So that requires a bit of faith, doesn't it? It requires us to take a step of faith, a leap out of our comfort zone and I got to be honest, I didn't do a great job on that. I, I did it long enough to where I just couldn't phys- physically see a way forward. And I, I did what was best to um, take care of my family at the time. But I'm wondering if there might have been a better option available. If there might have been a different option available, would I have had the strength to do it? And I'm beginning to consider if maybe that isn't a goal in my own life that I shouldn't be working to make sure that other people won't have to make the same choices that I made to, to offer options to people who 
wouldn't be able to take advantage of it, but for the option that I look to provide or help assist them, make them available to. And I don't know what that's going to look like. And I don't know how long it's going to take. And I, and I don't know the way forward, but I can't help but feel convicted that rather than bash people for not making the better choice in my mind, if perhaps I shouldn't be looking and working to assist them in finding that opportunity. Now, I'm not going to force anybody to do anything, right? If you are good the way things are, if you want to take advantage of the pagan institution, I'm not going to tell you not to. I'm just going to do my level best to make sure that you know you have an opportunity to do something different if you want to. And that's always that's always my final caution to people, right? As a Christian, it's very tempting to want to hold pagans to the same level of responsibility to force them to do things the way we would do them but we're not doing them a service we're supposed to lead by example we're supposed to give them something to look at and to admire so they would see the benefits of following christ but if we force them if we abuse them if we mistreat them i just don't see that that's an outcome that's likely to happen and I'm going to jump back off from behind the pulpit here and just say that all of this is applicable to a non-Christian as it is a Christian. We want to believe we want what's best for our children. And I know several people that don't believe like I believe that dislike government schools or distrust them as much or more than I do. And I think that they would be more than willing to investigate other opportunities or options for education of their children if they existed. I don't know that I'm going to be able to provide them the same resource that uh, I'm hoping at some point in the future (laughs) help somebody else pull off. But again, We have to be willing to explore options. We have to be able to acknowledge that what we've been doing isn't working. And it's not working on multiple levels, mind you. But we have this extra layer of caution and concern if we swear fealty to Christ. For those of you that don't, I know, I know. Maybe you've checked out already. But I'm just asking you to consider that none of this at any time do I advocate should be forced upon you. You have to make your own decisions and you have to live with those decisions. So I've kind of gone a little long, kind of gone down a couple different little uh, rabbit trails in this. So I kind of apologize for that. (laughs) That was not my intent. Uh, I'm going to return back on Thursday. That would be the 2nd of February. Uh, We're going to try something a little bit different. And uh, then, of course, we'll close out the week on Friday with maybe a little bit of a potpourri, a free-for-all, if you will, until then. I will see you on the other side.